Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for another edition of WVU Marketing Communications Today. Brought to you by the good folks at West Virginia University's Marketing Communications Online Graduate Programs, where they explore unique MarCom strategies that will help you inform, persuade, and inspire your audience. Something we aspire to do today. We'll see if Amy's up to the task today. You ready? Amy, tell her. We're going to be discussing how shifts in the consumption of digital media coupled with a growing awareness of social justice are having a powerful influence on marketing. My guest today is Eric San Innocencio. He will be teaching social media and marketing at our very own Reed College and Media's IMC graduate program. He also currently serves, as we were just talking about, as the Associate Commissioner of Strategic Digital Media for the ACC where he oversees the development, implementation, and management of the strategic vision for the ACC's digital and social media platforms. Prior to joining the ACC, Eric served as the Senior Director of Digital for the NFL's Houston Texans, which became the first team in the NFL to win a Shorty for Social Good Award for their groundbreaking Hashtag Texans Care campaign. Eric was also recognized as Best Minority in Business by Birmingham Magazine in 2013 and has participated in the Minority Opportunities Athletic Association and the National Minority Journalism Workshop. Today, he will share with us some successful digital marketing strategies used by the ACC and how the industry is addressing the issue of social justice in 2020. Hello and welcome to the show again, Eric. How are you? Amy, I need to take you everywhere with me. I mean, the way you just introduced me, you made me sound more important than I have at any point in my life. That was fantastic. (laughs) Well, absolutely. And that's only a small portion, actually, of of your (laughs) background. It's pretty impressive. And we really appreciate you being on the show today to share your experience and really help drive awareness of such a relevant timely and critically important topic. Could you start today by talking to us a little bit about digital marketing? Because as you know, digital content has become such a ubiquitous part of our daily lives. How has this changed the way in which key players in the industry, such as yourself, approach digital marketing strategies? It's a great question, Amy. I think in the past six months, we've learned a lot about how digital not only a part of the content that we create and the entertainment that we consume, but how much it is a part of our daily life, whether it's healthcare, whether it's the financial sector, so much of what we do now is a digital interaction. So what I always tell people is to think about it in terms of integration. And in my opinion, at no point moving forward will any business's digital strategy ever get smaller. It's only going to grow. So I think what we've seen is to try to figure out all these different touch points that our customers and consumers are having with us. How can we build out an omni-channel experience so that when they interact with us, it's a customized, it's a personal, it's a one-to-one interaction because everything we do in that digital space, as I mentioned, is very customized. Your Netflix feed, Amy, is completely different than when I sign into Netflix. And I think we've become accustomed to having not only what we want at a timely manner that we want it, but also personalize in a way that makes sense to us and makes us feel comfortable with how we're engaging. Fantastic. So in terms of your digital marketing strategy, have you been able to pivot it to reach specific audiences? 
Definitely, and I think that's becoming more and more important. The idea that we had in marketing a couple of years ago, kind of the spray and pray mentality, has really gone to the wayside. And I think it's because what we know about our customers or what we should know about our customers has only grown over time. And I think we have to approach each digital marketing campaign that we put together with that in the back of our minds. So what is the you know the customer target demo we're trying to reach? What are they comfortable doing? What are we asking them to do? How are we measuring the ROI? These are all questions that we need to ask ourselves because each of these platforms that we mentioned, specifically when it comes to social, but also including email, web, they're all different interactions that customers will have along a lifetime that they will spend with your brand or with your company. So strategically thinking about what each platform is capable of, what kind of part of your fan base or customer base is there, and specifically what you're asking them to do. I think it needs to be at the forefront now because, as I mentioned, that personalized experience is so much more important. It definitely is. Taking a customer-centric approach is really key right now. As you know, there's this little thing called COVID (laughs) that has impacted (laughs) virtually every industry. In terms of digital marketing specifically, what has been one of the most successful strategies you have seen since the beginning of the pandemic? Yeah, it's been an unprecedented six months in terms of how we're dealing with this, not only in the digital marketing space, but specific to the organizations that you're a part of. I mean, I think about us at the ACC, we canceled the men's basketball tournament. This happened around day three of our tournament for the first time in history. And so we didn't crown an ACC tournament champion in a traditional sense by somebody winning a bracket. So I think what I've noticed specifically in the sports space is how much sports provides a calendar to our daily lives. So we know during certain times of the year, whether it's March and March Madness or September and the return of football, we count on that as fans and we count on that as consumers to better inform what we're doing and what we're looking to follow and where our loyalties lie. I think what we've really tried to focus on in terms of sports and at the ACC is using that built-in schedule to create content that can still engage and feel familiar to fans when they didn't have sports. Like, it was completely unique to us. Sports always goes on throughout the year outside of this COVID experience. So you always have something happening or some type of competition. The ACC, we sponsor 27 sports. That can go all the way from football in the fall to fencing in the spring. And those are things that I think our fans, customers, and student-athletes count on. So what we try to do is build out specific content plans and digital marketing strategies that were already tied in to customer behavior that they would be doing had sports still been being played at the time. So I'll give you an example. You know, we did a best ACC player bracket in terms of the best in our history, and we've got plenty to choose from, from Michael Jordan to Grant Hill to Tyler Hansborough all the way through. So we built that as a bracket during the normal time that it would have been NCAA March Madness and the NCAA tournament where people are used to filling out brackets. So I think for us, we thought about it as, what will the normal tendencies and behavior would have been had sports been going on? And how can we use either our archives, the ability to create content on social, but also just to give fans that feeling of being connected. Sports specifically is really important. Like you get these large groups together. If you go to an NFL football game when I was with the Texans, there's 70,000 people enjoying a moment together. And there's that community feel, whether it's elation because they won or being upset because their team I wasn't able to get the victory that day. So how do you continue to make people feel that way? Because even though sports are not happening, I think we crave those experiences. I think we looked at it more so as what would our customers be doing and how can we tap into that so they can feel somewhat normal during, as I mentioned, something that's really unpredictable and that you don't have answers to in the COVID space. So that's kind of how we approached it. Yeah, that's interesting. 
And you bring up a great point, especially during this time, we all crave that social interaction and sporting events in particular are really such an important part of that. To switch gears a, a little bit, do you think these digital marketing tactics that you're discussing will ever fully replace print media and other traditional marketing strategies? Completely no. I still think they're going to be segments of the population that are used to getting their information and interactions in a certain way. And I think one of our biggest roles as digital marketing managers and leaders in this industry is to not only look towards the future, but be able to serve the present. And so you think about there's all these different segments, especially in sports. Your season ticket holders skew a little bit older. They may be in the 47 to 60 range. So when they're interacting with you, they're already used to having built-in behaviors that they tap into or that they want if they're looking to continue building their relationship with you, whereas younger people may skew towards different platforms. So I think it's interesting to think of it as that dynamic. So I don't know that it'll ever go away, but I do think it'll ebb and flow in terms of the amount of time or the amount of resources that we put to each one. Like three or four years ago, maybe even a little further back than that, websites were such a big part of who we were as an industry and driving people back there and, and ads and placing pre-roll, all that kind of stuff was at its apex. But now, because of social feeds, younger people are getting their content specifically in their social feeds, reading that content, interacting with that content, getting that message, and then going right back to their social feed. They may never go to a website. They may never leave their feed to get more information. So we've got that three-second window now where we've really got to concentrate on capturing their attention with good imagery and good content. And that's different from when it was three or four years ago. And who knows how that'll change moving forward. So while I think all of the distribution points that are currently out there will stay in some degree, there will be a varying percentage change in how much we use them and what matters most given the trends that we're seeing from the customers that follow us. Your point where you say you have to look to the future but serve the present, I love that. It's so true. An example that comes to mind is Oreo, where the power went out in the middle of the Super Bowl. And they immediately tweeted out that you can still dunk in the dark, which I think is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Let's turn now to the issue of social justice. In your opinion, how are athletic organizations addressing this topic? John, I'm glad we're able to spend some time on this. It's something very personal to me. Obviously, with my long last name, I think most people can figure that I'm a Hispanic. I'm, you know, I'm from Puerto Rico, I'm Latinx person person of color in the sports industry. But I think one thing that's really happened over the past six months is just the awareness and understanding of, of better integrating and better knowing what we're doing in this space has been really prevalent. I know at the ACC specifically, we've created a, what we call the core initiative, which is champions of racial equity. I'm one of the officers on that committee. We have buy-in from all the schools, multiple representatives, we call them campus reps, that we have lots of meetings during the course of monthly interactions. We've produce an ACC Unite logo. We've done a lot of great stuff around social justice initiatives with student athletes, letting their voices be heard and creating content around that. I am inspired by the fact that we are at the point where we can have this conversation. Now, I'm 39 years old, and I think for most of my career and the way I was raised, it wasn't something that you were told to bring up or felt comfortable bringing up. It was something of a third rail. It was like politics, religion, you don't talk about those type of things. But I think with everything that's happening in the world, you know, the best thing that has come out of this is that we are talking. Another example within the ACC, we have a book club where we're reading certain books. And the first one that we've dove into is So You Want to Talk About Race. And I'm actually one of the book club leaders. And we have our meeting today and we're reading chapter by chapter. We're split into groups and we're talking about these issues. Doesn't mean everybody has to agree on everything, 
but just being aware and having empathy for the stories of different people because Hispanics are not a monolithic culture. African-Americans are not all monolithic. We don't all have the same story. We all come from different places. But the more we can learn about the different interactions that we had and the experiences that we've gone through, I think the more it'll make us aware of just, like I said, having that empathy of understanding where people have come from and what their mindset might be or the context of the thoughts that they have. I think that's really where we've got to get to. Changing hearts and minds is a slow process and it's one thing at a time. But diving into it, I think the way we have, and not just at the ACC, the West Coast Conference now has the Russell Rule, which they're pushing hard, is similar to the Rooney Rule in the NFL, where you have to interview a minority participant for your higher level positions. And there's other work being done, college basketball coaches, college ADs. So you start to see all this great initiatives move forward. I just hope that it continues because as sports come back and things get back to normal, it's not like we had a lot of free time to begin with. How do we continue these conversations? How do we continue providing framework to have long-lasting change. I think for some people, they look at this and it could be overwhelming. I don't mean to cut you off, Amy, but it could be overwhelming because it's like, I don't know how to fix this quickly. Well, there is no easy fix. This is a very layered problem and it's something that is going to take a lot of time and a lot of different bringing people into the fold to really move forward. So I'm just proud of the steps that we've taken, but hopefully it's just a very small step and will be a long-lasting initiative that we can grow on. Absolutely. Well, it's time for a quick break. When we come back, we'll be continuing the conversation about how athletic organizations are tackling the topic of social justice. Over to you, Paul. Well, it's an important topic, and we just want to take a moment to let it sink in. And while it does, let's remind you of some other important news that WVU's Integrate Conference, it's moved online like so many things. Marketing communications experts from a variety of industries are going to be exploring how and what to say during this unprecedented times. You can view the schedule and tune into the virtual live sessions. Just look them up at integrate.wvu.edu. That's integrate.wvu.edu. And while you're at the site, you might as well peruse some of the other information there, like about the WVU Digital Marketing Communications Master's Degree Program. It's fully online as well and can be completed in one year. With built-in certifications from platforms like Google and Facebook, the program gives you both the strategy and skills you need to read audiences today on existing and emerging media like this one. You can learn more about that program by visiting their site, marketingcommunications.wvu.edu. E-D-U. That's Marketing Communications Plural from West Virginia University. And back to uh, Amy and probably one of the most discussed topics these days. I'm curious at uh, your guest's view as to athletes themselves speaking out on these issues. Does it help or does it hurt? Some people say when LeBron and others come forward and talk about social justice or take a knee or do other things, it brings more attention. And others say, no, it just creates more controversy. Any thoughts on that one? I think the fact that you're asking me that question leads me to believe that it helps because it's top of mind. So you think about what happened in Kenosha and no matter what you feel about what the incident went down, the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks came together to bring attention, it turned it from something that a few people were aware of to a national discussion. And I think in the end, as I mentioned, having these detailed discussions and better understanding, no matter what side of the ledger that you end up feeling in terms of what the decision was made, the fact that we're having the discussions is the positive point. So I'm 100% in favor of athletes in general 
being able to voice how they feel because in addition to athletes that provide entertainment for a lot of us, they're human beings, they're people, they're fathers, you know, their daughters, their wives, and their husbands. I'm a huge advocate for that. I just think in general, anything that sparks conversation is a positive thing. And again, whether the end goal of that conversation doesn't have to be kumbaya that everybody gets along, but I do think we need to be having these discussions because it's important. There's value in that. There's value in understanding, even if you disagree. I'm a big proponent of allowing folks to speak their mind. And again, it doesn't mean you have to agree with it, but it keeps the dialogue going, which I think is the most important thing. Well, I'm certainly with you. Back to Amy. Thank you, Paul. So to dovetail off of that, in terms of messaging, Eric, what strategies do you think have been most effective for navigating the issue of social justice? It's not easy. I think you've got to have that discussion with your organization as to what you stand, because a lot of times statements are one thing, but actions ultimately are going to be what everyone is judged on. I think you've got to marry those two concepts together. And I think it's okay if you don't have something really in-depth to provide at the beginning to not participate. You know, when there's the blackout day on Instagram and everybody's putting the square on Instagram in support of Black Lives Matter, we hadn't made a statement at the ACC as to what are we standing for? What is our statement? What are our next steps? What are our goals? How are we going to tackle this from an action item standpoint? So we didn't participate because we didn't think it was the right move to make because we hadn't stated who we are and what we supported yet. So that's why we stayed out of that. And I think sometimes people feel pressured to jump in. And in my opinion, again, this is just me, Eric Sanino-Sencio, not the ACC or not the league as a whole. Sometimes diving in without understanding what your larger strategy is or what you're trying to accomplish, to me, is the wrong move. Because in the end, statements that are made, those are great. Those are fantastic. They keep things moving. But the actions is really what determines. And I think customers expect more out of their brands now than just, like I mentioned, this transactional relationship. That happens sometimes, but a lot of times they want to know more what it is you stand for. They want that personal connection. And so for me, sometimes diving out in front and trying to jump in a certain trend or feel like you've got to do something without the action items behind them isn't always the best way to play it. I think we have more time than we think. Sometimes we're pressured to have an immediate response. But again, if you don't have your ducks in a row, I don't know if that's always the right path to take. You alluded to this a little bit earlier, but why do you feel it's so critical that the sports industry be a part of this narrative? Because the sports industry, in theory, is supposed to be the one industry where everybody comes together, right? You think about you go to a Texans game, you go to a West Virginia game, you are sitting with people from all walks of life, from all political beliefs, from all walks of equality, We all come together during that two or three hours to watch a game. So sports has already played a big role in making society feel connected and feel as a part of a community. So to me, it's a very logical step for these discussions to happen in this space because of that connection, because of who we are, because of what we ask of each other. It's the first way that a lot of people are exposed to folks outside of what their normal circle is. Because in the end, you might be all Mountaineer fans, right? Or you might be all Cowboys fans. It doesn't matter where you come from. At that moment, you're all on the same team. I think because of that, it's opened the door for the opportunity for us to continue discussions in this area because there's such a great community aspect to it. Again, sometimes that's uncomfortable. Sometimes you're trying to separate what you feel you come to a sports stadium for. But in the end, these are larger discussions that I think most of us agree are positive to have. Sports just lends itself because it's so connected in that way. That is a great point. Sports does serve as kind of a general unifier, right? It sort of levels the playing field, so to speak. 
That's brilliant. So what advice would you give to an organization who is just beginning to address this topic of social justice? I think, as I mentioned before, I would huddle as a larger either staff or senior staff and really try to map out either a mission statement or some bullet points in what is important to us and what are we hoping to provide to this conversation? I think a rule in general, people always ask me, how do I know when to jump in on a trend or how do I know when to respond to a comment on a social feed? My philosophy is, is you jump in whenever you can provide value. And so I think until you understand who you are as a company and what value you're looking to provide within this space, it's okay to not be involved. You've got to know those things first. It's just like any digital strategy you set up, right? You just don't dive into a campaign. You want to research who you're looking to target, what action item are you looking to get them to do, what's the timetable of the response that you're hoping to get back, what analytics are you going to look at to measure your success. I think to me, I take that same philosophy into this space and just having a better understanding. People will send something that's not authentic. And so know who you are. And again, if you don't feel like this is something that you can add value to, then it might be best for you not to be involved in the conversation. And I don't think that's a bad thing either. I think it's a personal decision, obviously, as it comes to the organization. But having those structures in place and having that process in place to better understand to me would be where I would start. To close the loop here a little bit, you talked about youth. And I know we just have a couple minutes left, but I was wondering if you could speak to that for just a second. Everybody's world has changed in the past six months. Like I'm sitting in a home office and I'm looking through the door and I see my daughter on a Zoom call with her class. I hear my son upstairs reciting his music with his students all virtually. You know, the world as we know it has really been turned on its head. And so many people are suffering so much more than I am. I'm very fortunate. I can work from home. I don't have to make a decision that puts my health or my family's health in jeopardy so I can go to work and I still have a job. There's a lot of people that are dealing with so much. So I think what I've learned through all this is to always keep your perspective. And that's what I try to teach my children so much, like understand how fortunate you are and then figure out ways to try to help and advance others. I get more gratification out of the success of others than I have myself. And that hasn't always been the case in my life. I think what I've really learned over the past six months is have a better idea of what you want to do as a person, who you are, what's most important to you, and dive into that. And then be in service of others, because to me, that's the best way to advance everything forward is to not think of yourself, but to think of others and how you can help them. That is so beautiful, Eric. I could talk to you all day about this, but that's all we have time for today. It has truly been a pleasure to have you on the show. And I just have one last question for you. How can our listeners contact you or find you online? Yeah, sure. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and Twitter. Eric Sanio sends you. I think those will be in the show notes. Twitter at Eric San, if you'd like to find me. I always tell people that if you send me a message, I will respond. It may not be immediate. There's a few things on my plate right now. If there's anyone out there that's a student looking to get into the industry and has questions, I'll be happy to provide any feedback I can. I think it's important to me. I remember being that young kid who sent letters to every MLB team asking for a job and only a few responded and what that feeling was like. So if people have questions or want a further discussion, I'm happy to engage. And like I said, Twitter's probably the best way to get me at Eric San or on LinkedIn to send me a message, but happy to help and you know, happy to share my experiences if they can any way provide some insight for people looking to get in the business. Great. For our listeners, could you spell your last name? <laughs> um, first off, kudos to you, Amy, for saying it right. I know we practiced it and you nailed it. So good job. <laughs> My name is S-A-N-I-N-O-C. 
C-E-N-C-I-O. Beautiful. Thank you so much. No problem, Amy. You guys have a great day. Thank you for having me on. Okay. And how do people get in touch with uh, you, Amy, if they want to find out more about what you're doing here through WVU? Uh, yeah. No, honestly, LinkedIn, that's the best way to contact pretty much anyone these days. I'm at Amy Allison Teller. All right. Thanks so much. Good talks today. Good thoughts. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Communications Today, brought to you live from West Virginia University, a weekly program that sits at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and marketing practice, only on the Funnel Radio Network, for at-work listeners like you.